Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, it's Mike. It's Saturday. It's the Saturday show. And we have a couple of segments about Israel. Guess what? It's been my, and I think probably your, and the world's obsession, as it should be. I'm actually traveling to Israel tomorrow. I will be reporting from there in the upcoming days. So let's have a segment from the week and a segment from the vaults about this subject from the week. I could have chosen talking about Norman Finkelstein and some of the arguments made likening Gaza to a concentration camp. If you want to listen to that, that was yesterday. I usually go try to go back a little earlier in the week. So I did a spiel on the people on the left, yeah, I would say the left, who are using the idea that there were no beheaded babies documented that we don't have proof that any of the Hamas terrorists actually beheaded babies. People who are using that as a wedge to discredit, I don't know, something like all of the Israeli efforts to root out Hamas or to discredit all of the Israeli claims, which are to say documented claims about the dead and the slaughtered on October 7th. So that one is, of course, heavy. Let's go back to 2014, where I interviewed Diana Buto, who was a negotiator for the Palestinians and is a lawyer. And she joined me in 2014 during a military operation then, Israel against Hamas. It, of course, did not stick. But Buto was uh, kind enough to join me and talk about what was going on. We have, by the way, reached out to, I would say, 12 people who could speak more from the Palestinian perspective. We haven't gotten many takers, but we're going to keep trying. It's very important to me to have all credible voices on this issue represented. So again, I think this is the second week in a row I don't say enjoy, but uh, I hope you get something out of both of these segments. A ceasefire in Gaza is not in the offing anytime soon. Hamas military chief Mohammed Deif says there is no middle ground as regards a truce until Israel ends its, quote, aggression and siege of Gaza. Israeli strikes destroyed Hamas's media offices, the home of a top leader and electricity plant today. Over a thousand have died in Gaza in the 22 days of fighting. The UN says 70% are civilians. Israel's military aims in this operation are to uproot Hamas to degrade their ability to launch attacks into Israel. Hamas's military aims in the short term are less clear. Well, joining me now from Nazareth is Diana Buto. She previously served as the legal advisor to the Palestinian negotiating team from 2000 to 2005 and its negotiations with Israel, later advised Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. Thanks for coming on, Diana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you articulate what is Hamas's strategy? Well, at this point in time, they're trying to protect themselves and defend against uh, this onslaught that the Israelis are committing against them. And so the other side of that would be Israel is saying, we want Hamas to stop firing rockets. 
Well, you know, you can't make the argument that Israel is defending itself for a number of reasons. First, it has been demonstrated that Israel was the party that attacked first. Secondly, Israel is in occupation of the Gaza Strip. It can't sit sit back and say that it's acting in self-defense. You cannot drop a one-ton bomb, and they've dropped more than more than uh, uh, sixty-five of them over, just over the pe- course of the past week, on a, a defenseless civilian refugee population, and claim that you are acting in a in proportional means to uh, to the the rockets that are being fired. Are the numbers in this case ipso facto? That's all you have to look at because what Israel says are arguments like human shields and arguments like we happen to be very good at protecting our citizens. If we weren't as good, we'd have massive casualties. Hamas knows what it's doing and they specifically put their citizens in harm's way. I mean, Netanyahu has this construction that says we use our military technology to protect our citizens. They use their military technology specifically to expose their citizens. Well, Mike, it, you know, this is one of the most offensive arguments that I've heard uh, come out of the mouths of the Israelis. This idea that somehow Palestinians put themselves in danger for Israel to then, to then kill them. Or the idea that Palestinians want to die is such a repugnant, racist, offensive statement and is simply designed to dehumanize Palestinians so that it becomes easier and more acceptable to murder them. Rather than castigating the people who've been killed, we should be castigating the party that's doing the killing, and that's Israel. Does Hamas not want any casualties, or does Hamas want to publicize the casualties that are brought about by this conflict? Again, another very offensive question, which is you want to, you want to ex- explain to me that Hamas is somehow going to capitalize on people being killed? That's obviously, that's obviously a farce. That's like saying that the United States wants to capitalize on Americans being killed. You wouldn't ask this of the Israelis, and so you shouldn't be asking it of me. Or, or, and again, I'm not a representative of Hamas, but this idea that somehow we want to die or that Hamas wants us to die is so repugnant and is simply designed to dehumanize Palestinians. Wait, uh, I'm not even getting into intention. How do you deny the fact that Hamas at least publicizes to try to get international attention on their side? They publicize the fact that many innocents have died in this conflict. They clearly do. Their media channels are filled with information about the great costs of the war, and there are constantly pointing to the many innocents. And I agree, there are many, many hundreds of innocents who have died in this conflict. But are you saying Hamas doesn't do that? And, and which is also the flip side when it comes to the Israelis as well. People in government, they actually end up republicizing about people who get killed. This is the way governments work. Now, I also want to tell you that it's not just Hamas who's coming out and reporting the numbers of people who've been killed. It's so too is the United Nations. So does that mean that the United Nations also wants to capitalize on No, I think there's a difference between documenting the numbers and what you do with the images and how you uh, how you put them in context. But I wanted to ask you a a different question. Do you think Israel could actually be more efficient in limiting civilian deaths with how they target and where they target? Or do you think if there's going to be a war and if this many rockets are going to be fired back and forth, it is an inevitable consequence of that, that there will be what's called collateral damage and many, many people will die who shouldn't? 
I shudder to think that we are in a world where we just dismiss the people as being killed and call them simply collateral damage. It's That's a sad statement if, if this is the world that we live in. So I think that the more important thing is really just look at what's happened. Israel hasn't just simply targeted combatants. They seem to be thinking that this is some sort of a video game where you can just shoot down anybody. And the, all you have to do is look at the Shuja'iya neighborhood. Almost the entire neighborhood has been taken out. There's no way that that was in any way targeting combatants or any of that sort of thing. It's deliberately designed to bring down the Palestinians and to bring down their infrastructure. Just today, the power plant was hit. Over the course of the past three weeks, the water infrastructure has been hit. All of this is simply designed to bring down the Palestinian infrastructure, and all of it is a violation of the laws of war. In other words, these are war crimes. We have reports of the military leadership and the political leadership of Hamas being at odds. And of course, Hamas is a rival to the Fatah party and you advise President Mahmoud Abbas. So is there anything, and we have all your thoughts about uh, what Israel should or shouldn't be doing, is there anything you think Hamas should be doing differently? I, I said I'm not a member of Hamas, and I can't purport to speak on, on behalf of Hamas. What I can say is that there have been attempts, and there continue to be attempts, to try to get a ceasefire. And the only way that we're going to get a ceasefire that is lasting is if we address the root causes. The root causes, are this, is one of them, is this brutal seven-year blockade that has been placed on the Gaza Strip. I used to live in Gaza. I know what it's like to live under a very brutal blockade and brutal siege. Without that siege being lifted, we will not be able to move forward and have a lasting ceasefire. Nobody wants a ceasefire more than the Palestinians. We see the numbers. We see who's been killed. We see whose infrastructure has been devastated and destroyed. The problem is there's no international leadership right now to force Israel to stop. Do you think that the actions of Hamas get us closer to that point or further away? Well, this isn't the actions of Hamas. Once again, you might not like the tactics, but if you're so offended by the tactics, then you should be even more offended by the tactics the Israelis are using. Diana Butto is a human rights lawyer from Canada. We spoke to her uh, from Nazareth, and she has experience working as a legal advisor to Palestinians and Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. Thank you so much, Diana. Thank you. My pleasure. And now the spiel, and I don't usually give a warning, but this one could get rough. So when word spread of the terrorist attacks against Israel of October 7th, the world reeled. Stories of villages stormed, families slaughtered, babies burned and beheaded, civilians abducted, old people held hostage, well over a thousand murdered. But amidst that litany I just recited, there was one inhumane act that could not be confirmed, it was this one, as mentioned by President Biden from the White House podium. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. Those actions were not confirmed, and soon the White House conceded as much. According to the Washington Post, quote, a White House spokesperson later clarified that U.S. officials and the president have not seen pictures or confirmed such reports independently. So the White House and the West in general corrected this incorrect assertion that children were beheaded. And they should have corrected it in the absence of evidence. But soon that correction became something broader. 
Fact check. Did Hamas behead babies? Al Jazeera issued this fact check. But the damage had been done. Biden's initial claims were already featured on the front pages of many news outlets and continued to be cited in some quarters as justification for revenge attacks and the collective punishment of civilians in Gaza. There are a couple of counterclaims to this assertion I'd like to get into. I'll call them the outraged rebuttal and the gentle rebuttal. Outraged would be phrased, okay, babies weren't beheaded. They were burned, slaughtered, killed. The exact manner of death that befell these babies and 1,400 other Israelis altogether is immaterial to the immorality of the acts of terrorism and the urgency to neutralize Hamas. The gentle correction went something like, you're right. It is bad to be inaccurate. We want more accuracy, but there is something called the fog of war. And knowing that there is a fog of war, what you can do is to correct inaccuracies as soon as possible. This one was corrected, but it also changes nothing about the underlying arguments for Israel's defense. That's the gentle argument. But soon the lack of beheaded babies became something more than a rumor that shouldn't have been reported, a misstated fact. It became something almost totemic to the critics of Israel. On the show, rising co-host Brianna Joy Gray, former press secretary to Bernie Sanders, uh, his 2020 presidential run, former politics editor for The Intercept, interpreted the misinformation about beheaded babies as a purposeful propaganda technique. If you have a tragic mass of death on both sides, including multitudes more Palestinians who have been killed over the last last 10, 15 years than Israelis who have been killed. And children, Palestinian children, a much bigger, horrible, tragic, disgusting pile of Palestinian bodies, then you have to find a way to distinguish why those kind of raw numbers and why all of the children and the tragedy shouldn't be treated equally. And we see words like barbaric, Barbarism. Because it was barbaric. Flown around, flung around. But the barbarism, the the inhumanity of bombing children in Palestine is not describing those same words. What you need to do is find language that makes it feel like there's something different to the character of it when a Israeli child is killed versus when a Palestinian child is killed. It is, Gray added, an embellishment, and she said she believed it's rooted in a desire to strip humanity from the people of Palestine. Or, and I ask, perhaps not someone with Gray's priors, but let's try to imagine a reasonable observer, consider this. Is it the case, is more likely the case, that after the slaughter of 1,400 people with so many horrifying details that can even be fully shared on network television or family newspapers, is it the case that someone in charge of rhetoric said, we need to go further. We need to concoct one more detail because the actual horrifying carnage is just not shocking enough to the conscience of any decent person. Or is it more likely that someone thought they saw or did see a slaughtered baby and incorrectly thought that baby was beheaded and said that to a reporter and then it got out? Or maybe as just People were trying to absorb the scene of carnage that they were witnessing, the bloodletting. Maybe they heard wrong or even thought that they saw amidst the blood an actual beheaded baby. So ask yourself, rhetorical tactic or just regular humans trying to process something which the human body was not meant to process?
Now, the reasonable person I posited is certainly not Roger Waters, formerly of Pink Floyd, who the current State Department says has, quote, a long track record of using anti-Semitic tropes. He was interviewed by leftist journalist Glenn Greenwald. The thing was was thrown out of all proportion by the Israelis making up stories about beheading babies. They even got the president of the United States, dotard that he is, to claim that he had seen photographs of the beheaded babies. Of the beheaded babies. Yeah. The thing was blown out of proportion. What would be the proper proportion of 1,400 dead children among them. The beheaded babies really gave away the game, according to Waters. That someone would say beheaded babies tells you what you need to know. And what do you need to know? Well, no less than it was all a globally tentacled worldwide conspiracy, which Waters introduces by holding out the possibility that the Hamas attacks weren't even actually perpetrated by Hamas against Israelis. What we do know is whether it was a false flag operation or not, or whatever, or whatever happened, and whatever story we're going to get to, and we, we don't know if we will ever get much of a real story. It's, very, it's always hard to tell what actually happened. They're calling it their 9-11. What the hell happened on the American 9-11? Nobody knows. The, of it, clearly, the official narrative has huge holes in it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Anyway, let's not go into the 9-11. So like I said, Waters is not that reasonable person. But is it Al Jazeera? Al Jazeera still retains a good deal of credibility in the West. But think about that clip I played. They spent some of their credibility in the form of a fact check asserting that the damage was done of the misreporting of beheaded babies, and that damage is what allowed the, quote, collective punishment to go on. Whereas I ask, but for the beheaded babies claim, would one less Israeli bomb be dropped? Would one fewer U.S. officials support Israel? Would one more member of the IDF have laid down their arms in refusal to, quote, collectively punish? I believe that the beheaded babies claim was a logical, understandable mistake in response to a horrible, actual thing that happened. I believe that the beheaded babies claim doesn't give Israel any more of an impetus to act or give the U.S. a smidgen of further cover or rationale to support Israel. I think what it does do, I think it's working for one side or one faction in this argument. I think it gives opponents of Israel's current assault on Gaza something to point to that they were actually factually right about, that something initially supporters of Israel were wrong about, and they use that as a giant justification for a raft of conclusions that do not follow or a spate of explanations that do not hold. Remember I spoke about the ideal rational actor? This next person comes closer, Zenyep Tefeki, an academic and columnist for the New York Times. She recently wrote a column titled, Past Lies About War in the Middle East Are Getting in the Way of the Truth Today. Quote, since Hamas did murder children and take others hostage, should it get credit if it didn't also behead them? It's an appalling thought. Some of this skepticism is surely the result of anti-Semitism, but that's not all that's going on. One key reason for some of the incidents of doubt is the suspicion that horrendous but false or exaggerated claims are being used as a rationale for war. And there are many such historical examples, most notably the Iraq War. Tefeki then goes through a litany of lies offered in the service of U.S. involvement in unpopular wars. She does not, however, 
describe the many lies or just falsehoods or misimpressions that always permeate every side of every war. To give you one example of a popular war. In October of 1941, FDR made a speech where he said, quote, I have in my possession a secret map made by Hitler's government. It is a map of South America and part of Central America. As Hitler proposes to reorganize it, FDR went on to say that he had uncovered Hitler's plan to eradicate world religions. Neither was real. There was no map. There was no plan. The map was a invention of the British Secret Service trying to get the U.S. into war. This is very different from a rumor allowed to spread for less than a day when the White House corrected it. But what does it tell us? It tells us that there are always mistakes attending to acts of war and brutality, and the presence of a mistake need not mean more than the fact that mistakes are always made when it comes to war and brutality. They could be made on the side of the righteous, or the wronged. The power of the beheaded babies report has been wildly, wantonly, almost willfully overstated. It does not reveal secret motivations. It did not allow for any actions that wouldn't have otherwise occurred. And there's one more wrinkle, and this next part is what justifies that warning I gave at the top. So the government of Israel has been screening footage, first in their country, now abroad in U.S. embassies, and uh, reportedly Gal Gadot is even going to offer a screening in Hollywood. But what this footage is, is video that was captured from gleeful Hamas terrorists killing Israelis on October 7th. Here is the Politico description of some of the scenes that their reporters witnessed. Two tween boys in their underwear run into a shed with their father, only to see him die after a terrorist throws a grenade in behind them. The father flops backward, having protected the boys with his body. Why am I alive? One brother screams before telling the killer in English that he wanted his mother. Elsewhere, there's a man on the ground, gravely wounded, but still very much alive. Militants slowly and inexpertly behead him with an old garden hoe while chanting praises to God. Now, this description was from Canada's National Post. Same presentation, though. The literal streams of blood, the hacked-off arms and legs, the infant missing parts of its skull, brain leaking out, Mickey Mouse pajamas on a young corpse, skull fragments on floors, victims shot point-blank so much blood. And once more, back to Politico. Eventually, the video ended abruptly in a flood of images of dead babies and children. Another 10 children under the age of five are still missing and presumed kidnapped, according to Israeli officials. As the light came on, the people in the room sat dumbly for a long beat. It wasn't clear what to do. I say we, as non-combatants, what we can do is grieve for the innocents, all of the innocents. We could try to protect them. We could have a little humanity and decency, if you are such a person, to be in a position to assess why one specific detail may have been wrong or indeed may not have been. Corey War is the producer of The Gist and Joel Patterson's the senior producer. Thanks a lot. I do have every plan to talk to you Monday, not from this hemisphere. <laughs>